Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to um, the screening of The Art of Ahmad Saidu. We'll shortly be playing the film. Um, and then after the film, which is an hour and a half long, we'll have a Q&A session, um, which so will be done by 9.30pm. We're very lucky to have the film director, Yaba Bedu, here with us. He'll be part of the Q&A. So if there are any questions you have about the film, um, about the process, anything like that, you can ask afterwards. So after the film, we'll have a panel, which will be chaired by Dr. Kwajo Senyame, who's at the front here. We also have have Nana Ibia, who'll be participating. Um, Nana Ibia produced a volume of essays um, on Amar Taidu's work, celebrating her 70th birthday, which is on sale outside. Um, and then myself, I'll be on the panel as well. I'm Dr. Luisa Chumabunika here at SOAS also. Um, should um, we just start, maybe if there's any questions from the audience while we wait for Kojo to come back and then we can um, have the panel discussion. So were, were there any comments, questions, reflections for Yaba on the film that we've just seen? Okay, you've got a little bit more time to think now that Kojo's back, so... We'll be asking you once again later if there's any comments, reflections, or questions. Okay. Um, thanks again, everybody, for coming. Um, what we've decided to do is because we have the director of the film here, um, we have Ayebia, um, Amateur's publisher, and um, myself and Louisa, who are also teachers of Amateur's works, we want to you know, share a few thoughts on the film, but we want to make it. Um, as engaging as possible, so we don't want to kind of monopolize the stage. So what we want to do is to have um, Yaba um, Bedu respond briefly, and then have Ayebia respond briefly, have Louisa re respond briefly, and then have myself respond briefly. In between this um, response, uh, our responses, feel free to interject. You know, so we, we, we want as much from you as possible. Questions, comments, contributions, anything that you found interesting or anything that um, touched you in terms of the, the documentary in relation to other issues that relate to Africa generally. Um, so I'll hand over to Yaba. Uh, thanks very much for coming to see the film on International Women's Day. Um, I'll just start off by just giving you... Uh, um, uh, the background to how the film was made. Um, the idea was originally to make a series about African women writers because my uh, co-producers and um, my executive producer and the people I work with um, felt very strongly that if African women as filmmakers, if we don't tell our stories, nobody else will because um, the demand for uh, to know about the history of African women writing isn't really that strong among broadcasters over here. So the original idea was to have a, a series about African women writers and um, as you can imagine, to get funding for such a big project is almost impossible in today's world of broadcasting. So when it became very clear that we couldn't get um, money to make a series, we thought, well, why not let's start with just one writer, a writer that we all knew um, and, and loved and were quite friendly with. And so that's how the idea to do a single one-off documentary about Amate Du came about, because we thought if this one worked, then we might be able to get um, funding to do uh, other documentaries about African women writing. And um, what happened was that we did most of the filming in 2012. 40% uh, of our budget was, um, was from the African Women's Development Fund. 
and um, we did um, a, a year's filming with Amatedu, and then the big hurdle was how do we actually um, get more funding to complete the film? And we tried all sorts of avenues without success until eventually um, my, my associate producer, Margot Ogazawa-Ray, said, try Indiegogo. And so we spent about three intense months doing a crowdsourcing campaign on Indiegogo where we raised over $45,000. And once money starts coming in, then other people want to chip in. And so the Global Fund for Women then um, gave us some money, African Women's Development Fund gave us some more money, um, uh, Pathways for Women's Empowerment at um, Sussex University gave us some money, and um, the result is, is the film you've just seen. So actually the film is a result of uh, a huge international support from women who, uh, well, men and women who love African women's writing and who love Amata Edu's writing in particular and feel that it is absolutely to the point to document her tremendous contribution to African literature. Thank you, Yeba. That was extremely eloquent. I came into publishing completely by chance. I worked for the Heinemann African Writers Series, and in 2002, when I was made redundant, I decided to start IABIA. But at Heinemann, I was very, very aware of what Amata just spoke about, the fact that the women were always relegated to the background, and the men spoke first. And I felt that in this day and age, uh, we needed to do something. And I also felt very strongly, as an African woman, I could be one of the catalysts to bring this you know, action, agency, whatever, about. So I was very, very aware that we needed to address a certain historical imbalance. And so one of the first books I published when I left Heinemann was the African love stories. And as she said in her uh, interviews in the film, people have asked me, why did you just do stories about women, about African women? Why not African women and men? But I, in my own way, I was trying to give back to our women what has been historically taken away from them. African women, you find a lot of Anthologies about, you know, uh, FGM, which I absolutely, totally detest. And, uh, you know, women who have been brutalized, women who have been, you know, domestic violence, uh, uh, women from war-torn areas in Africa. And I tried several times when I worked at Heinemann to get them to do an anthology of African women love stories, and I never succeeded. But I took that idea, I took it with me, and as soon as I could, with my own publishing house, I brought out this book. It is a powerful book by African women in their own voices, talking about issues that matter to them. But also, I wanted to show the world that apart from the wretchedness that the rest of the media of the world like to show about Africa. African women and African people love and, and they, they hate and they fight and they quarrel. We do all the normal things that 
people do all over the world. I just wanted to show that African women are like women all over the world. So this African love story is my small contribution to you, all women actually, but especially African women. And it, it has won two major prizes. And of course, it's being edited by our very own Amataidu. If you don't read anything at all, if you don't read any of the stories, read her introduction. It is one of the most powerful things I've ever you know, read. But then I went on to publish her latest collection of short stories. And as uh, Yaba's uh, film showed, I also, when we, we launched that book in Accra, we launched two books together. It was her 70th birthday, so I, we did a collection of uh, uh, essays, which was edited by Anne Adams, and this collection. It is so beautiful. I'd like to read you a very, very short story at the end of it if you'll allow me, if you'll indulge me. Because it's one of the things that she is so good at, the way she tells stories. She speaks for all of us, not just women. She speaks for all of us. And she's courageous in the way she approaches things that other writers would sidestep and rather not talk about. I think she's a real germ in our crown. She's a very special woman. Um. I think one thing that struck me about the film was, as a medium, it allows you to see um, the writer rather than just to see the text. So, I mean, many of us have read Amata's works and they're brilliant and she's a very versatile writer. She writes you know, so many different genres, but you develop another sense, um, having seen her as a person, having seen how charismatic she is, having seen... Even just the the humility that she holds to me, it kind of adds something else to now when I when I read her work, I have another sense of of where she's coming from, and she is an amazing woman who's accomplished so much um, as we've seen in the film, but also getting the sense of the context within which she grew up. So growing up in um, in an, in a very sort of uh, politically charged era, in an era in which it's quite cosmopolitan. So growing up in Ghana with people like Du Bois, having African-Americans, people of African descent. And you can understand why some of these issues that she deals with weighs heavy on her mind. So she's one of those writers who really has tackled again and again um, issues of, of sort of slavery, the history of slavery in West Africa, um, but also thinking about the diaspora. So where does the diaspora configure in our thinking? You know, what, how do we, um, in Africa, how do we relate to our diaspora? Let's sort of start these conversations. And she's really done that in a way that, um, that many other writers haven't. So I think she's, she's a pioneer for so many different reasons. Um, and I think it's, it's so important that we celebrate people like Amataidu. And to me, I mean, the film's been made. And I think what you've done is almost open up a whole new avenue because I don't know of any other film like this mm-hmm. um, and it's got me thinking well why don't we have more films like this and it's it's great to hear that the, the intention is to continue I think it's such a valuable resource I mean Amataidu is still with us but um, and we're lucky to still have her with us but if we don't start documenting now you know we're very lucky that she is with us and she was in London you know um, a couple of years ago and many people got to see her and interact with her 
and we're living in a unique time where a lot of African writers, prominent writers are alive, but 50 years, 100 years, you know, these will be important archival material that people will be watching and will be getting to see, you know. So I think it's it's such an important project and I really do hope that you get the funding um, to make more like this. I think you're doing really, really important work and I really commend you for your efforts. Thank you. Um, I also just want to add a little bit. Um, the first thing that I want to say is to thank Yaba for actually making this film because Amatedu is one of the most important writers, not only within Ghana, but as Ayibia said somewhere in the in the in the documentary, globally even. And it's interesting to note that, for example, within the African tradition, there are quite a few <laughs> documentaries on the Wole Shoinkes and the Chino Achebes, mm -hmm. but there's nothing on a writer as important on, as Ahmad Atedu, who's covered virtually every topic mm -hmm. that Africans have to do with in terms of their existential realities. Life in the village, pre-colonial Africa, the contact with colonialism, you know, the shifting identities and the changing identities of Africans after contact with the colonialists, etc. And this is something which, of course, is in her text, but to have it put in this manner, this visual manner, actually makes it easier for people now then to want to be interested in, the, in, in, in reading her work. And there's also a sense in which the, 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 the documentary can be seen as giving um, a snapshot of what Amatedu's works really are. You know, so you have to read Diplomatic Pounds, read No Sweetness Here, read Our Sister Killjoy, read The Dilemma of a Ghost and Anoa, read Changes, read um, Beds and Other Poems, The Chickle and the Eagle, Eagle and Other Stories, even for children. She's that diverse, like Nana Wilson-Tigo was saying in the clip. She's covered almost the whole terrain in terms of our relationship with our universe and our world. And obviously, what also comes out of the film um, which I want to commend all the contributors to the film, including the director, Yabafo, is how they managed to present the story in a very balanced way. So, for example, when she's dealing with slavery, you know, she's not simplifying the argument, which sometimes we get about, oh, Africans simply sold their you know, people into slavery, which is kind of misinformation, but actually says that questions need to be asked, and we need to address this, and we need to address this reality before we can move forward, because you can't talk about the present and the future without dealing with that past. And so I think it's really very important to, you know, to have this. But I'll also encourage you, because... Um, like Yaba said, a lot has got in, gone into the film. So just make sure that every single copy of this goes today. And buy also as many of the books as possible. Even if you're not going to read them, you can pass them on to your brother, your sister, your uncle, your lover, your whatever, your whatever, your whatever. Because Amma Tedu is really an important voice for African people. And not only for African people, because when you talk about the problem of Africa is part of the global you know, system. When you talk, engage with Africa as deeply as she does in her work, in her writing, in her interviews, etc., then you're also really dealing with the world as a whole. And I think it's really important, a really important point. But I'm sure that a lot of people in the audience have a lot to say. So we want to take something from you. And then at some point, we also like to hear that short reading that I promised that from the collection. So let's have questions and comments and contributions from the audience. Yes, please. One point that I picked up on that I that touched me or um, resonated with me was, I think in the film she mentioned that there's a disparity or um, clash between Africans in Africa and Africans in diaspora, 
And um, I just think that's a really important topic and something that we should talk about. Okay, there's another question here, but maybe I can address that a bit. That's precisely what she does in the dilemma of a ghost. Um, sorry, um, yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah, the dilemma of a ghost, because sorry. you have Yuleli Rush, who's an African-American woman who's married to um, Atu Yosin, who's left Ghana and gone and studied in America and has come back home. And when, she ca when he comes home and tells his people that he's married, first of all, they're surprised because they are not aware that he's, he's married because he's done it individually. Whereas within the African cultural context, marriage is not just between yourself and your partner, but between the two families. So already that creates a problem. Then there's also the sense in which Yuleli comes to Ghana with their own stereotypes, having internalized a certain system of education in the West. And of course, the Africans, Atus people, also have some stereotypes about her. So basically, the play is actually putting that kind of the relationship between Africans and the diasporans in that context of a discourse that has to be, you know, um, um, had, a dialogue that has to be had. But also as part of that project, there's a lot of affirmation of the African self because the play is also set against the backdrop of um, Marcus Garvey's ideas of back to Africa, you know, also in terms of the African Renaissance. And like we, we, we saw in the film, it's set at the time of African independence, very early years of African independence. Those, there's a whole back to Africa movement in terms of the people wanting to move back. But part of the message is that when you move back, it's not just simply, you can't simply have a kind of romanticized, nostalgic view of Africa. But again, Africa welcomes its you know, sons and daughters in the diaspora. Because at the end of the play, you see Esikom, who is Atos' mother, actually hugging Ileli in spite of all the, what has gone on. Because Ileli has been very disrespectful to you know, her, her, her husband's community because she's not very much aware how it works in terms of the culture. And the husband has also neglected his duty of easing her into the culture by not playing his role as a kind of cultural interloper properly. But if I continue, then you probably won't read the book. <laughs> <laughs> So we had a question here. Uh, my question is about, um, I would like the panel to please elaborate on what, on something Amato touched on when in the film. And also, Ayabia mentioned this as well. Um, just that the struggles that um, women, African women face in publishing, um, not being taken seriously, or, and also what are your experiences, what have been your experiences to the panel? You know, being a woman, um, publishing or being in the literary atmosphere, how, just touching that basically. Can I take this quickly? By saying that I think, when I first saw the, the film, Yaba's film, I was just blown away. Uh, because as Louisa said, I have never come across any documentary about any of our women writers done so well. I know, I think I rang you up and said, mm -hmm. this film is going to be a classic. I know it's going to be a classic because it is not about waiting for other people to uh, validate us. It is about having the courage to validate ourselves. Because, I mean, hey, we're in 2015 and we are still waiting for who to validate us. Yaba has done that. She's come up and she's done this film. And in my own small way, I have brought out Amataidu's books. So it is about no longer looking back or sideways and blaming men or, or, or colonialists or whoever. We've got to start to take charge of our own stories. We've got to tell them the way we want other people to read them because that's how they have been giving us their stories. You remember what Amataidu said in the film? 
Then she was bored about reading, you know, in the scorching sun. She was reading about carriages being stuck in snow. It has nothing to do with her way of life. So we've got to do it. If we want to see other people become interested in our stories, we've got to do what Yababude has done and what Amar Taido has been doing. And to some extent, I see myself as a chronicler, as Yaba has done, as a, a, a documenting for future generations what we have done as women who are, um, you know, producing. We're productive, and we don't want other people to sideline our productive energies and, and agencies. So I think that's what we've got to do. Whether people take us seriously or not, we know we take ourselves seriously, and that's what uh, Yaba's done. And I hope that's what I'm doing with Ayabia. Um, just just to add to that, um, I would just reiterate what Nana said in terms of the importance of centering your own story. So there are many African writers who've spoken of growing up reading literature that doesn't place their experiences at the center, and there's a sort of moment of realization where, you know, the snow has little relevance to somebody growing up in Ghana or you know, as Aditya says, a, a bagel was something quite mystical to her. Or, um, as Chino Achebe said, you know, reading novels where you're taking the side of the white savior and there's all these African savages and having that moment of realization that actually you're supposed to be one of those savages. So there's a sense of needing to write literature that speaks to your own reality publish literature that speaks to your own reality make films that speak to your own reality you can't it's not about like as nana was saying it's not about receiving validation from someone else it's actually about validating yourself recognizing achievements within your own community providing a platform if there's somebody who you feel is is not receiving the kind of attention they should receive then give them attention so for example i'm you know, in academia, it's my job then to write about Amataidu's works. I shouldn't wait for somebody else to write a book. I should do that. That's my own contribution and responsibility if I feel like she's somebody who should. So it's, it's about, I suppose, taking that initiative, um, taking ownership um, and creating the kind of content that you want to see. And I think now, you know, we're in a digital age. It's that much easier to do, you know. People are doing it themselves. It's not. We don't have to necessarily um, do something on a large scale, but there's so much opportunity for us all to pick up our smartphones and go and record something or make a video and put it online and contribute to these kinds of conversations. It doesn't have to always be rooted through these kinds of institutions. So if there is something that you know that you feel is is lacking, then you know. You can do it yourself. Um, and I think that's something that we're seeing more and more. We don't necessarily have to go through sort of traditional avenues and each person can take ownership of this kind of content and actually produce it and, and put it out there. Um, and I think also we need to support these kinds of initiatives. So if we see somebody doing something um, and they are crowdfunding or they are trying to raise awareness, you know, just something like sharing the material, sharing the information, contributing whatever you can, however little, also helps to make sure that this kind of thing can continue. So I think we all have, you know, responsibility in, in, in this. 
Just to add to what Louise has said, um, uh, my name, you know, I, I'm the producer and director, but I, I couldn't have made this as an individual. If you look at all the credits that came up at the end, you know, from Ringway Estate Secondary, um, Secondary School next door to where I live in Ghana, to the advisory commit, uh, committee that advised us as to, you know, areas to, to, um, to focus on in the film, from the people who provided archive, and um, uh, my executive producer, Amina Mama, production management, Big Heart Media, so many people were involved in actually getting this show on the road and bringing it to fruition. So uh, my name has been mentioned a lot, but um, it was a huge collective effort. Uh, you asked a question about, oh, oh, do we have a... I was just going to add very, very, very quickly. What Yaba said is so important. These initiatives cannot be done without the support, financial support of all of us. And without the crowdfunding support, it wouldn't have been, uh, uh, you know, it would probably would have been impossible. So it's important that we support these ventures. If somebody sends you an email or uh, whatever, circulate it, but also contribute because we have to start to think in those terms. These things are, have got to be created with money. So we've got to support it financially. Yeah, um, just want to say um, that, yeah, but this is the second documentary I've seen um, from, like, your work. Okay. The last, the, the, the first one I watched was just a couple of weeks ago on Witches of Gambaga, mm -hmm. and I was so thrilled because I had this essay, I'm doing medical anthropology, okay. and I used that, your film, as to kind of portray the structured um, form of violence, gendered mm -hmm. form of violence, mm -hmm. and I didn't have to be honest i never had a clue what these women were actually going through but by watching your film it kind of opened my eyes and enlightened me so um i would say well done and thank you for you know coming up with this as well so hope thank more you. you know people will find you mm -hmm. to produce such good works on women and what they have to go through in our society thank you okay. question for Yaba. Um, I just wondered if you could elaborate on the process of making the film um, and your interviews with Amata Aidu, um, and if you could talk about whether she was involved in the direction of the film and how you told her story. Well, um, like I said, originally it was supposed to be a, a series, and but we thought we'd start with Amata because uh, Amina, uh, my executive producer, uh, Abby Buzia, who also is... Um, uh, did many of the most of the interviews, and I we both know her, um, and um, and so she was a good place person to start with. Um, the process wasn't just um, uh, the process was very much you know I, I sort of I'm a sort of traditionally trained documentary filmmaker um, who started off working in the BBC. So um, uh, first of all, it was getting the funding and approaching the African Women's Development Fund, um, who were very, very open because one of their main themes is um, uh, women and culture. And so a, a documentary about Amate do fit it into that theme. Um, and then from there, it was actually writing a treatment 
uh, which is sort of like, um, you know, well, familiarizing myself with Amate Du's work and then writing a treatment to see how we could actually cover her work, but within a documentary format. And um, the docu a documentary which helped me think about um, her work was um, I made a documentary in 2003 about Toni Morrison for BBC Four, which was one of the best working experiences of my life because I'm a great fan of Toni Morrison's work and I went to New York and met her and, you know, we sort of, it was, it was just fantastic. So there was a, I had sort of um, uh, a track record of actually doing that sort of film before and um, so wrote the treatment, shared it with the advisory committee, which was uh, Vincent O'Dampton, um, Abby, um, Abby was involved with the advisory committee as well, and um, Yao Graham, and um, uh, um, AC, AC Sutherland Addy was a member of the advisory committee, who knows Amate do well. And so we res once the treatment was done, getting a lot of feedback from them, and then, of course, discussing it with Amate herself. Um, and uh, and then you know um, going with her to her home village and doing all the filming. So that, in a nutshell, is how it was all done. And once the rough cut was in place, um, uh, the rough cut was sh sh seen by the advisory committee, who gave their feedback, and then a, a, a fine cut was done. Just to comment briefly, because there was a question on. Um, publishing and what you know women go through and I'm sure Yaba and Aibia are more qualified than myself but I also have a few things to say when you see the final product you know in terms of the the, the diplomatic pounds or you know African love stories there's a whole struggle behind it and I mean publishers like Aibia are actually doing something that other publishers aren't doing and just to give a kind of very brief example you know somebody like Titi Dangaremba really struggle to be published what wouldn't be published in, in 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 Zimbabwe because it was a difficult thing and then she got published years later by the women's press but then after a point she got abandoned too and IAB actually had to do a rescue job which involves a lot of sacrifice now you you don't because if if IAB hasn't spoken to you about what exact details involve you wouldn't know what actually goes through bringing nervous conditions which is now a classic within African literature back onto the stage and publishing the book of not and subsequently you know the amount of money the time the sacrifice the pain and everything so there's a whole so what I'm saying is that the end product is fine it's a sense of achievement but in terms of the struggles that women go through the publish the writers themselves I might do was complaining on there about how they are treated but and saying that oh publishers treat us sometimes like you know ch children okay. who need to be indulged or something but the publishers themselves are part of that struggle they also have their own stories to tell which hasn't been told which i'm hoping that someone like ayibia will write about one day you know so it's it's that complex and that deep because there's a lot that goes on behind this i just wanted to add that small dimension to it that would be a big well at all maybe a big book I'm going to jump in here and read you a very, very short story. Um, is that okay? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. This is uh, from Diplomatic Pounds, Amataidu. For Kobe, Ma Dodua, and Precious, and the story is called Delight. Torturing little frogs and toads, chasing butterflies, sunbeams and light beams, raindrops, soap bubbles that fly slowly up and never come down. Yellow flowers blooming in the wild or in a nicely cultivated garden. These and other gifts from the great outdoors get kids to jump up and down, 
throw out their arms and kick at nothing. They giggle, their necks flung back until those beauty folds will seem uncreased and we would wonder why we had to grow up. <laughs> but then, what did I have to light up those eyes with? I, whose attempts at pots on the balcony, horticulture, proved my thumb to be the ungreenest in the world. A recent city window, widow imprisoned by two athletic knees on the third floor of an apartment building with a broken down lift and a landlord who doesn't seem to remember ever that he has tenants until the rent is due. <laughs> I realized suddenly that one of them had shifted his attention from the rest and is looking intently at what I am doing. He is the youngest, just over two years old. And what am I doing but working or at the fruitless task of getting my one's famously beautiful fingers to forge the now, the wrinkles, and dryness. When I catch his eye, first he runs away, then he comes back, moves back to face me fully, frontally. For a second, I wonder what he is going to say, but then he doesn't say anything, just stretches out his hands, both palms up, Following his eyes, I pick up the bottle of white lotion, press the pump, and put a dollop into each palm. He looks at the drops of lotion, his eyes growing to thrice their size, all these funny milk teeth out, then literally drooling, he skips to show them uh, to show them to the others. So they too come up to me, four palms up. I drop lotions into each palm. Now, it is not just six enlarged eyes, three drooling mouths, three sets of teeth all out, but also six flaying hands, six kicking legs, pulls, plus the squeals, the squeals, the squeals. Yeah, sorry, mine isn't really a question, it's just um, a comment I just wanted to say. Um, I felt, yeah, the documentary was very, very beautiful and really inspiring, um, mainly because of the way that you managed to capture the sort of lifelong duty to creativity or writing. Um, and she mentioned a lot throughout um, the film when she went back to work and how she felt, you know, duty to returning back to writing and her family were kind of pushing her to go back to that. And the sort of time she spent 10 years of not being published or not publishing. And, um, yeah, I felt it was just, you know, really, really touching with the, um, touching on the idea of, like, the stress or the burden or confusion of putting out what you want to put out or what you feel you have to put out. Um, and she mentions it's like a bravery being a writer and just going with her voice. So, yeah, it's just me sort of saying I liked it a lot. <laughs> oh, Thanks for your nice. comment. That's very nice. Thank you. Thank you, Yaba, for a wonderful film. Um, my question is more about the continuity of the project that you started. I'm curious to know who's the subject of your next film? What do we have to look forward to? Ah, um, at the moment, I'm taking time out myself just to um, work on my own writing, and um, uh, and I and I'm you know. Uh, 
Sister mentioned before the, um, the, the film about the Witches of Gambaga and now this film, working as, as an independent. And crowdsourcing for me for um, uh, the Amateidu film was, although it was very successful, I don't think I've ever worked so hard in my life. <laughs> and, um, and I'm not really sure whether um, this sort of template for making documentaries is sustainable. Uh, and I and I and so I, I whilst I'm doing my own writing, I'm I'm sort of trying to come to terms with whether it's sustainable or not because it means that um, somebody has to drive the project. And uh, although there are many many well wishers who um, see the importance of documenting the work of African women writers. Um, uh, Without institutional support of some sort or other, it means that um, at the end of it, like at the end of uh, last year, I, f I was literally flayed, um, sort of like physically flayed. And, and I, I'm not sure whether I can sustain that mm -hmm. commitment. Um, you know, she wants to know the order of it, mm. you know, and, and I can remember spending a, quite a long time <laughs> trying to, you know, we thought, well, you know, this story should go here or this story mm. should go there, but then she, but she didn't want that, you know, mm. and you know, it's a sort of compromise, you know, I'm sure it's probably the same with the film, I don't know, you know, you, you have to exercise a certain amount of tact and, you know. Well, at the launch in um, in Accra, um, Amate Du's daughter Kina gave an introductory talk yeah. about it because um, she said, well, in, she, she talked about the process of making the film, and she said of her mother, she said, um, "My mother, you know, many people have worked with my mother, and it's a bit like um, uh, I think Kina's analogy was like roasting um, corn, uh, roasting corn." You, it's very hard not to get your fingers burnt. <laughs> 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 and I thought, so uh, that, 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 I thought uh, Kina has put Brilliant. it really well yeah. because her mother, Amate, has got a very, very strong personality. Yeah, and she, um, <laughs> she, she has a clear view of things. And it's actually yeah. it's very, very hard for any artist, I think, to put themselves in the care of another artist to have their story told, especially a, a consummate storyteller like herself. Sure. Um, and although she um, had a, a clear, you know, I, I tried to give her a clear idea of what was in store, and, uh, and she is sort of indefatigable as a consummate trooper. I mean, yes. we did all the readings. I mean, we needed about four days for the interviews. I mean, you know, we did it, you know, we did all the readings and the, uh, the bulk of the interview in one day. And it was getting dark, and the mosquitoes were around, and and she just went on and on and on until I was <laughs> satisfied. So there are swings and roundabouts, but I think it was really worth it because ultimately um, we all really believed in the project. We thought it's important that we um, 
document her words and that she talks about her writing, uh, even though other people contribute to understanding it. But I, I you know, it, it was worth it. Hello, it is on. Hey, so I am Ifua and I am Ghanaian, Ghanaian American, and I want to say that I had never heard of Ama Ata Edu, not from my parents, um, even my father who went to Berkeley, UC Berkeley in California during the time that she would have been there, and, you know, or uh, my mother, nobody had told me about her. It was actually some classmates of mine who told me to come tonight. I didn't almost, I didn't know about this event either. Um, I'm in the music department, uh, which, you know, th there's not always overlap necessarily, but I just want to say that I actually feel it inside of me, like, even though I may not have ever heard of Ama Ata Edu, and now I will never forget, the thing is, is that even before today and since I've been on this earth and before, I feel I know her. I don't know how to, else to say it. It's something very intrinsic, and I think so much of what she has, um, what has been displayed in this wonderful documentary about her artistry and, you know, when she was in the ministry that she worked really hard, and it sounded like it was fulfilling and enjoyable, yet her artist was put to the back burner and that that was not okay. And I think that's something I've dealt with um, being in the music department here and as a performer. And I don't know, I, I just wanted to, um, so many things. One thing is also that thinking about going back to Ghana and I thought about this, this is our sister Killjoy, mm -hmm. the story about, um, you know, when you go to Europe, there is this, there's this idea, mm -hmm. this was in 77, mm -hmm. was it? This idea that you're, what was it? You're preparing for heaven or something like that. <laughs> and, um, and just that. There was this feeling, and I don't remember if it was that book, but if you remember when one of the pages of the books, which I love that that was included in the documentary, loneliness yes, coming yes. down like tears. Yeah, and sister, that's yeah. something that I feel very strongly. Yes. Uh, and mm -hmm. and I know now, today, right now, that I've been like, well, I should go back to Ghana after the... I will be going to Ga back to Ghana after I finish school here because it's so important. And uh, I guess the concrete question that I would have would be about mentorship and uh, was it Ifua Sutherland yes. was that uh, Amata's mentor yes, and yes, yes. a beautiful woman you know and yeah. I just wanted to talk about wh where is mentor where is this mentorship now uh, for uh, female artists for African artists for artists in general and just wanted to um, also say thank you I, I think it's really wonderful that you've made this contribution um as Amata, I don't know why that line in that uh, that that film. Uh, she, said, she said the relationship we have with the diaspora is charged, and it's charged because we don't want to deal with what has happened in the past. But what has happened in the past has happened, and we're here today. So we've got to try and work with what we've got. Efua um, Sutherland was an incredible creative force, a tour de force. And she, she too has left legacies. I have published her collection too. But her daughters, Isi and Amowi, and her son um, are very much carrying on her work. So if you do go to Ghana, you know, um, let, yeah, let me, you know, maybe connect you with Isi, who is in Accra. And she is just, um, you know, a spirit of her mom. And she's doing some really fantastic work as well. But when you get through to AC, she will connect you to other, you know, mentors or people who would be able to give you that kind of, you know, 
hand-holding role to get to where you want to get to. Um, there are quite a few other people there as well. But, um, yes, it's important. We need, Africa needs its diaspora. And the diaspora, I think, needs Africa too. I mean, Africa is, is the future. Look at what is happening here and elsewhere. Uh, Africa has everything. Um, but as Amai Taidu said, the organization and, and our own shortcomings have probably, you know, uh, uh, impeded, you know, whatever development. But Ghana is, is doing okay. Touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> Said as a Ghanaian, uh, we've just celebrated our 58th anniversary, haven't we, fellow Ghanaians? Yeah. Your country is free forever. <laughs> but what sort of freedom do we have? Do we have a freedom that we can question our leaders and say, why haven't we got more representation of women in parliament? Because that's where the decisions are made. We've got to position ourselves in the places where women can impact on policies and decision-making and all the things that happens to happen uh, to all of us in our daily lives. Women have got to be central to what is happening in our world. And I think in Ghana, actually, women are quite okay, you know, in terms of ownership and marriage and being able to have a career and, you know, bring a family and all that. But, you know, you will find your own way. And Ghana welcomes you with open arms. Come home. Yeah. Come on. Okay. Thank you very much for this very powerful documentary. Um, I know that you've been very humbled by saying this is not about you. Mm. And I'm thanking you and your team for mm. the wonderful work you've done. Uh, I was touched at different levels uh, about the personality of Amataidu mm. and our work and the different voices of people who commented on it. And uh, I can't you know, carry on to talk about that. I just want to ask two questions. Now, what was the input of Amataidu in the choice of going back to the village? That's number one. And the second one is, what exactly is it that touched her at that point when she almost broke down? Because I know she's a very, very, you know, strong personality. Mm. Uh, but there is something there. Do you have any insight into that? Uh, I'll stop there. Thank you. Um, well, uh, the idea of taking her back to her village actually came from AC Sutherland Daddy, in the sense that Amate do, uh, well, from her work, she draws on many traditional storytelling techniques. And um, in my conversations with AC, who was very, you know, she was just amazing. Uh, AC said, you, did you, for instance, I didn't know that Amate Du had actually started this storytelling group in, the, in her village. And so AC told me about that and said, you know, why don't you think of actually going back with her to the village um, as a way of grounding her work in the oral tradition where it comes from? Mm -hmm. And so that was AC's contribution. And I think it makes a huge difference to see um, where, uh, her, her, you know, the fact that her mother was her... Um, uh, First told her, first told her stories, and then there was this other storyteller in the village, and what it was like living in a chief's house, and all the comings and goings, and and that energizes 
the film right at the very start, and I think it infuses what we hear from her afterwards when she's reading aloud from her stories, which actually are very rooted in an oral tradition, hence her way she plays with the narration of her stories. Um, and you're set, uh, why she broke it down at the end. Well, when um, we, this was the filming in the University of Santa Barbara, which is where they had the colloquium on Amate Du, and it just was a great place to film because the university, um, they were having the production of Anawa, and, um, and at the end of the production, um, when Amate Du was invited on stage, uh, I just, when I saw her breaking down, I thought, well, this is the end of the film because she was just overwhelmed. She was overwhelmed by um, the fact that here was a new generation of students who had taken her work and made something new from it. I mean, this is me reading into why she was overwhelmed, but um, I just think it, it's, I mean, it, it's that sense of validation yeah. um, that an artist has yeah. when something she wrote a long time ago um, is still alive. alive. And I just think that Anua is actually is going to be her classic. Um, it, it is a remarkable play. Um, and, um, and, you know, I've had comments like, why couldn't you have a, a school in Ghana doing Anua? Mm -hmm. And, you know, why, wh what about um, uh, Ghanaian children's response? Mm -hmm. Actually, it just happened that we were in, in, in California and, uh, and they did a really good production. And, um, and, and also, it, 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 it was important to contextualize her as an international writer, Absolutely. not just a Ghanaian writer. And doing it at the University of Santa Barbara just gave her gave it that. Um, and I'm, I'm just so pleased that it went well for her. Yeah. Mentioning about the... F Sorry. Just about what you were saying that you happen to be in California and they happen to have this production. Whilst I was watching it and I had this and I said, why should it something like this happen in an institution like SOAS? You know, we've just got the School of Arts mm -hmm. and what is happening? There is no drama, there is no, you know, it's all a film production, but, you know, something like this going live on, you know, like in an institution like this where you know which is vibrant which tells a lot about writing african writing and literature would really help so i hope they if we have any academics here they'll probably put forward to something like this towards the um you know maybe just to recommend something like this to the school of arts and so was mm -hmm. yeah um Thank you, Yaba, so much for bringing your film here. Um, I'm interested in, maybe from you, but maybe from everyone on the panel, on how you first came across Amat Aidu's work. <laughs> I know it's a bit of a big question, but I, um, yeah, I'm interested to know. Well, um, from my um, perspective, um, uh, I haven't, I actually um, hadn't read much Amat Aidu until I was quite grown. Uh, she's just been part of the, 
the fabric of Ghanaian society and culture. She's taught at schools, but I didn't go to school in Ghana. And what happened was that um, um, at a friend's um, New Year's party, I met Ama Atta and uh, was at a t sat at a table with her, and we went and sort of cheered the New Year in and danced and so on. And um, I got to know her that way. And then a friend of mine called Nike Bensiential, who is a blogger and has a website on Ghanaian culture and arts, um, suggested that I do an interview with her um, for his, his website. Um, and so that's when I, I started reading her work in earnest. And I read Changes and was blown away by it. Mm -hmm. and, and I read um, The Girl Who Can. I went to a bookshop and bought all in Ghana and bought all the Amate do. Um, books that I could and, and read them very quickly. Um, and then I, the interview was to mark the, I think the 20th anniversary of Changes. Um, and, and I wrote about it and interviewed her. And, um, and then after that, when um, the idea of doing a series about African women writers came and you know she was just an obvious choice because she has been a prodigious writer for such a long time. And, and I think one thing that maybe doesn't come out, only just this hinted at, is that she has been one of those writers who has struggled to write um, because the struggle is to earn a living uh, and to earn a living from writing is really, really hard. So she's always had to teach. And, um, and, and yet, through thick and thin, she has written um, plays, poems, short stories, novels. And, um, and then when it came to doing the film, I, I read all of it, as much of it as I could. And, and I, I feel deeply enriched because of that. I am one of those lucky people. I grew up in Kwame Nkrumah's Ghana. And I grew up in Ghana at a time when the curriculum, the uh, Ministry of Education curriculum, had replaced the European text with African text. So I came across Amataidu at a very, very early age. And I just felt this connection when I read her. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Jane Austen too. But when I read Amataidu, I felt... Uh, I don't know why you're laughing. I do like Jane Austen. <laughs> <laughs> but when I read Amar Taidu, I felt, you know, it was like an intravenous, you know, it was from her vein straight into my vein. I didn't have to do the translation because she had already translated it for me. I'm sure you understand what I'm trying to talk about. So Amar Taidu has nurtured me. And then at university, I did my thesis at Oxford on Amartaidu's work. And while I was working at Heinemann, I did all I could to bring her on board. Um, I managed it. I managed it. And the year before, I convinced my directors that Amartaidu is simply one of the most important writers. I didn't say female. I said writers from Africa who must be in the African Writers Series. I was made redundant. So as soon as I brought her on board Heinemann, I had to leave. Um, but I think the work that is being done now by Yaba and uh, other publishers have to continue. And we need the support. And like, like Yaba said, we don't have institutional support. So we are all struggling. And really, um, we need that kind of support because Amar Taidu and her work have to be part of the African, not just the African canon, but world 
literary canon. Um, okay, well, my first uh, encounter with Amata Odu's work was a production of The Dilemma of a Ghost that was held at the Africa Centre quite a few years back. Um, I so grew up here, um, studied literature, but didn't study any African literature. So all I'd come across was what I'd read myself, and that was basically everything Chinua had ever written. Um, but I, I wasn't really, I wasn't really so aware of African women's writing. So that's probably the first African woman. Well, I can't remember actually, but it was, it was definitely um, the first African play I'd seen, and I was quite taken aback. It was a fantastic production, and it just made me. I, I didn't know much about Ghanaian literature and it made me interested and because of that I began reading her other works and I began reading works by other, other Ghanaian writers and it kind of snowballed. So I think in terms of my own um, interest in academic career, it came early on and it's helped me to get to where I am now, which is having finished a PhD in African literature. But she's very much somebody who whose contributions to literature, I mean, in the world is immense. And just thinking about the versatility of her work. I mean, she's written poetry, she's written plays, short stories, children's literature, and even just from reading A Dilemma of a Ghost to then reading Our Sister Killjoy and just the complete depart the, the difference of the texts. The I love just how overtly political she is. I love how bold she is. I love the fact that she says things and she almost then it makes it easier for you to say such things because she's already said it. So you can say it and quote her, and you're saying it, but she said it for you. So it kind of just completely opens up doors. I absolutely love her work. If any of you haven't read her, then, you know, obviously go and read her. She's such a powerful writer. And so for me, the most amazing thing was how humble she is. you think somebody like that would be so aware of how great she is. And then that humility as well. So, I mean, she's someone who, um, she's made such an immense contribution. And again, just to reiterate, I'm just so glad that we that she's getting this kind of a platform that she really deserves. Um, I have a very well-thumbed copy of No Sweetness Here, <laughs> which my mother gave me. I now cannot remember exactly when she gave it to me, but maybe when I was in secondary school or before, I can't remember, but she was an avid collector of literature because she did literature at school. And so she had all kinds of literature, European literature, African literature. I think she first gave me Things for Apart, and then she also gave me No Sweetness Here, the collection of short stories. So even though I have a fresher collection, I've still kept that particular one that my mother gave me because you know it was, that took me into Amate. So I read the collection of short stories, and then you know I liked her work. I took it from there, you know, did also studied her at university because my teachers introduced her to me again at university. Um, then I started writing on her, I wrote on her. I also met her, interviewed her with Nana Wilson Tegu. We did a joint interview together. Um, subsequently, I've kind of seen, you know, had some other kind of, sort of interaction with her. So that's how I got um, um, introduced to um, Amatedu. But there's also that. You know, as a as a teacher, as a thing, there's also that distance that you always establish between the writer, you know, the way you respond to their work, and then also even if you have a kind of um, relationship with them. But I think first came across Amata when my mother gave me um, a copy of No Sweetness here, published by is it Pan or something? It's a green thing, you know, green cover thing. I still have it, you know, which um, I could dash upstairs and bring it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I got it.
I don't know how we are doing for time, Caitlin, but um, it's 9.36. Should we? Yes. Okay. So, everybody, you all, Louisa, Yaba, Ayebia, and um, myself, thank everybody for being here and for making it a very lively discussion. Yeah. Thank you. And um, thank you. may we have more.